Uh, it is a, it's a great blessing to get to be with you. Uh, this, this is a little unusual for, for me to do. I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to be here, and I think this is a good thing. Uh, we've got to say some preliminary things about a study on the Holy Spirit. First of all, I'm not a full model on the Holy Spirit. Second of all, you're not either. And I've met a few people who thought they were, and they are dangerous if you think you know everything. What an awesome thing to be thinking about the Godhead. And we tend, maybe even especially in churches of Christ, because we like things in black and white, and the Bible says it right there and it's so clear. And so when we try to explain the Godhead, we try a lot of times to put him in a box. We've got him all figured out. God will he do this, he won't do this, and he goes this far, no further, and that person saved, that person's lost. We get terribly judgmental. And you have the wrong guy come if you believe that uh, this study is going to be like that. It's an awesome study. It ought to be good. I'd, I'd like for us to realize that truth doesn't have anything to be afraid of. Truth has nothing to be afraid of. And I've been in the church a long time, preached a long time. And I think my opinion, I won't give you a lot of my opinion, but here's one of them, just a reflection through the years. My opinion is, is that we are a fearful bunch of people. It seems to me that we are afraid because someone disagrees with us in a Bible class or the, or the preacher, God help him, says something in the pulpit that you don't like. And boy, we're ready to fry him, barbecue, all kind of things. Because what do we do that for? This man loves God, loves the Word. I do. We all do. And yet, if we disagree, we can get terribly unkind and terribly uh, alienating to one another. So I am honored when uh, Mary called, or the ones that called and started talking about doing this, and said, would you like to come do it? It developed into this kind of three-lesson series, and you all have a lesson sheet for tonight, which I may or may not follow. That material will be given, but I've got my own stuff in my head, and it will basically follow what we're doing there. But uh, we want to study something that's extremely uh, awesome. I want to open it up at the end of this thing. I'll watch my time carefully first to ask questions, not because I know all the answers, but because it is good for us. I've been in Bible classes where you couldn't do that. People say, you, are you really going to do that? Boy, that takes courage. It shouldn't take courage. Because you can easily ask me a question I don't have the answer to. And you can easily say, Marvin, I appreciate you coming all that distance, but you're all wet. I believe something else. And you may very likely do that. But I'm open enough about it. I've lived long enough to know I don't know everything. You may not have lived that long yet. And when someone suggests something I hadn't thought about, we need to say, boy, you know, it's worth thinking about. Or I disagree with that. Well, that's okay. Any question is okay. There aren't any boundaries because we're here before God with open Bibles to just look at a subject that is profound, just like if we were talking about the Father, God, Jehovah, and trying to fathom the depths of the beauty of the Lord Jesus. It's too big for us guys. Let's don't any of us act like that we know everything there is to know. I want to read you a few verses, and we're going to start. I think you have them on your outline. But we're going to start in John chapter 14 and just read you a few verses without comment. Just read the Word of God. John 14, 16 to 18. And I will ask the Father, I be in Jesus. 
And he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him because he lives with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Chapter 15 in verse 26. When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. And then, let me see, chapter 15, verse 26, and chapter 16, verses 5 through 15. Now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will conduct, convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now hear. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears. And He will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And that's why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Here's a kind of little preliminary sheet, little bullet points if we were talking in school or outline lessons. There, there are eight things I want to just say about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and one reason I feel confident to lead a study on the Holy Spirit is I think I can help come up with a system. More than all the answers, I can come up with a system that will make studying of and the understanding of the Holy Spirit a little bit better. Number one, uh, and these are meant to be shortcuts. <laughs> I... Uh, I always dangerously say I need to... You know why I try to be simple? And someone will always say, yeah, because you are simple. And that really is the truth, and I hate to admit that. But, but I think most of us are. And I'm looking for simple things. Because there's going to be a lot said that's going to be difficult to understand. So in all of the difficulty of understanding the Godhead and the Holy Spirit, are there some simple things that we could sort of sink our teeth into. Number one, here's some of these simple things. Number one, the Holy Spirit in the Bible is always a promise. 
never a command. Now if you'll think about that, that's going to simplify a lot of things in your mind. Oh man, I, I better learn and I better you know, see if I'm supposed to have tongues and I better learn this and that. No, no, listen to me. Always in the, in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is a promise. Never a command. Never are we commanded to do anything about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always a promise. If you are willing and submissive and try to live in the will of God, you're going to get what He wants you to have because it is a promise and God keeps His promises. Number two. Uh, and this one is a saying. <clears throat> I was going with my young family to Australia in 1962, 65 the second time. And uh, I was being going to be supported by the Highland Boulevard Church in Abilene, Texas. And I was just a young guy that nobody knew. And I was wet behind the ears and all of that stuff. And, and they had, it seemed like a thousand elders, you know. It was, I was in a room of all these guys, you know. I was really amazed they weren't all wearing white robes, you know. It really impressed me. Big church, well known in the brotherhood. And they were going to support me and my team to go to Australia for the second term. And uh, I was in that room and Brother Collier, Brother W.F. Collier, he'd scare you to death. Wonderful man, but his manner just scared you to death because he'd lean across the table and he'd say, how do you stand on the Holy Spirit? And I'm this young cat that can barely spell Holy Spirit. And I think God gave me this because I said to him, Brother Collier, I believe we spend too much time trying to understand the Holy Spirit and not enough time appreciating Him. That statement really goes with number one, because he's a promise. You stay cool, stay in the will of God, and you're going to get what the Holy Spirit wants you to have. And I'll say again that we may spend, not that we should do it, we should try to understand every page, every line of the Bible, and try to understand God deeper every day. But it's like plumbing a bottomless pit. So uh, we need to spend more time enjoying and appropriating. Now, here's another one to watch, a simple thing. Number three, the Holy Spirit was never given to save anybody. I grabbed that. Because we have all kind of religions that claim they're saved because of something the Holy Spirit's done for them. And in the Bible, the Holy Spirit was never given to save anybody. He had another, another uh, mission altogether, and we're going to be talking about that mission. Nor is having the Holy Spirit tangible evidence that you are saved. It wasn't meant to be that way in Scripture. It wasn't out there to where you could know this guy was saved because he has something here of the Holy Spirit. It was to convince people of a lot of things, but not of salvation. A lot of times it was to convince Jews that Gentiles were okay to preach to. But remember that simplicity. The Holy Spirit was never given to save anybody. Number four, the Holy Spirit will never do anything contrary to Scripture i got to tell you a little funny here, because uh, people are always, uh, we especially, because we're great reactionists to charismatic people. And uh, somebody asked me one time, what do you do in your ministry about the Holy Spirit? And I said, you know the one thing that I always pray before I preach? Always. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And you know, well, what do you expect God to do? And I said, well, that's Scripture, Ephesians 5, 18. Don't be drunk with wine wherein is success, but be filled with the Spirit. So I always say to God, hey, do that. And this sounds kind of funny, but it's, but it's simplistically true. 
you don't have to worry that the Holy Spirit's going to do something unscriptural. Does that make sense to you? The Bible says, be filled with the Spirit. So you say to God, fill me with your Spirit. Well, He wants you to do what the Bible says, and so it's right to ask Him, what's He going to do? And always know that He's not going to do anything that violates Scripture. He gave Scripture. You know, the Scriptures given by inspiration of God as men were carried along by the Holy Spirit, and you don't have to ever be afraid that He will do anything contrary to Scripture. If you're claiming something of the Holy Spirit that's contrary to Scripture, you got the wrong claim. <clears throat> Number five, if we place more emphasis on the Holy Spirit than we do on the Father and the Son, we have placed too much emphasis on the Holy Spirit. There are people that go bananas. I've seen people in their actions talk about the Father, God this, and God so good, and the Lord Jesus, you know, Jesus saved me. Then they get to the Holy Spirit, and, and all kind of bodily functions change. Now, what the Holy Spirit is, in lesson number one tonight, the person of the Holy Spirit, we're going to say is a person. But He's not anymore. And if you make Him more, then you make the Father and the Son. You better know right then that you, you're, you're off on a wrong tangent. He is not more, He is not less than the Father and the Son. Number six, we have a tendency, and I don't mean to be down on us when I say churches of Christ. I say that lovingly because I've been in it for 62 years. And of it for 74. But uh, we've been reactionary. That means if a, if a guy teaches an error, we're almost prone to go to the other extreme. For example... Our denominational friends say, oh, we're saved by faith alone. At the point of faith, you're all saved. And we, that isn't true. That isn't what the Bible teaches. And so we almost go to the other extreme and teach a work salvation. You, you, you spot that tendency among us? Saved by grace. Uh, I, I, nearly all of my growing up life, if anybody ever said anything about being saved by grace, we had to explain quickly that it was not grace alone and that you sure could fall from it. As a matter of fact, we thought you probably would. But salvation by grace has seemingly to me been discovered by churches of Christ across the board. And it's about time. But don't go to the other extreme then and say, well, no, uh, we're not saved by grace. Uh, we're, we don't know that we're saved and we're not even sure that anybody can know that they are. So we do the same thing about the Holy Spirit and miracles. When people start coming out with Holy Spirit and making all of those claims and scaring us to death with wild television programs and so forth, we almost become like the people in Acts 19, verse 2, who said to the Apostle Paul, we've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Spirit. Isn't that tragic? That we should be thought of as the people that are not too sure that there even is one. So we're, we've got to avoid the reactionary uh, thing. Now also another thing I think that we have to watch. By the way, I, I'm shooting out all of these things. You, you know, you're not going to do it anyway. But you're not going to believe it just because I say so. But don't worry about disagreeing. I want to make you think. And I don't even really want to be uh, uh, not reactionary but sensational at all about this. But we need to recognize that Charismatic people do a lot of wonderful things. And they do things that are unscriptural. Don't throw the whole thing 
out of the way. i got a very dear friend in Tulsa, and, and I wish everybody could have this. My growing up life, Ebbett in Churches of Christ, we would have never done this. Would you ever been friends with a denominational preacher? I count Billy Joe. By the way, you know Billy Joe now, don't you? Did it make the TV news here? Did anybody know who I'm talking about? The charismatic preacher in Tulsa that last Sunday... He got hit. You saw it. I mean, the guy came out of the audience, thousands of people there, and he clobbered him twice. Bang, bang. And I wrote him an email after I said, Billy Joe, you are a class act. Because, I mean, we try to be Christians, don't we? Billy Joe, the leading charismatic preacher in Tulsa, I mean, he got clobbered in the head, and he turned immediately, went back up in the pulpit with blood streaming, and this is... I've seen it on television a lot of times. They were running the cameras. You saw everything that happened. And they, they put the guy in jail. And Billy Joe went to see him and said, Hey, we're not pressing charges. I came to pray for you. And the guy, a lot of people don't know it, but the guy said to Billy Joe, I do what I want to whoever I want, whatever I want. Billy Joe said, That's fine. I just came to pray for you. That's class. I don't care if he is charismatic. That's class. And don't say that they're all insincere. That's judging. And the Bible very clearly says, judge not. So we're going to teach about what the Bible says, and we disagree with them because of what the Bible says, but don't, don't, don't call all of their actions. Don't call their tongue speaking a farce, and they're all lying. Don't do that. We don't have to do that. We're commanded in Scripture not to do that. Truth doesn't need that. So one of the things we've got to know is good is good where you find it. Truth is truth where you find it. Baptist, Methodist, everybody else that teaches Jesus as the Son of God, that's true. Whether they teach it or don't teach it, it's good wherever it's found and evil is bad wherever it is found, even among us. Okay. One more thing. Oh, I've already said this. Started off with this one, and it occurred to me later to put this one in. Number eight is this one. Truth, and it's a good, good thing to say it again, I think. Truth has nothing of which to be afraid. Lose your fears. When someone comes along and says, well, I think we ought to restudy the role of women. So do I. I think we ought to restudy everybody's role. I think we ought to restudy baptism and anything else because we're not afraid. Because if, if, if the truth comes along and finds that we are wrong, we want to be right. We've said it before, but I don't I, tell you the truth. A lot of times I said it, I really didn't mean it. I just meant I know I'm right. And if you give me enough time, I'll argue you into a corner and make you look bad. And since I've settled myself on what I think I believe the Bible teaches, it's amazing how freeing that gets. When someone comes along and says, I want to talk to you about premillennialism. That's all right. I want to talk to you about you guys are cold, dead religionists. I want to talk to you about getting the Holy Spirit and being baptized. I'll talk to him. I don't have all the answers. I can't push him in a corner. I don't even want to anymore. But I will discuss the Word of God. On any subject. And having said that, I want to free us up, if we could, to, to all not be afraid. Jesus was always saying that, wasn't he? All the way through Scripture. Take your little, your little computer and your Bible word study and type in the words, don't be afraid. Fear not. Hit the button. It will dazzle you, won't it? With all the times Jesus was saying to everybody, don't be afraid. You have nothing to fear. If you will just follow me. Well, there is such controversy over the Holy Spirit today. From works, wild-eyed religious fanatics. To Acts 19. We've not heard whether there be any Holy Spirit. And so, but I've got to say this to you, ladies and gentlemen. 
There won't be much power around any church without the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. You probably ought to read that verse. I'll refer to it a lot, but I'm referring to Galatians 3.3, where a tremendous question is asked. And I was just going to quote it, but since this is such a Bible study, we really ought to look at some of these. So here's Galatians 3 and verse 3. And I have it in my notes that we're probably going to read verses 1, 2, and 3 sometime, but just 3 for right now. Are you so foolish? That's a good question. After beginning with the Spirit, Holy Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Now, in my life and experience, I would say touche. Because I've tried a lot of times to accomplish every other way than to seek and appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit in my life and in the church where I was a minister. Well, the three lessons are these. Number one tonight is on the person of the Holy Spirit. Tomorrow night I'd like to tackle the subject of baptism of the Holy Spirit and miracles and speaking in tongues and are those things for today and what about the people that do the things that we disagree with. And I'd like to fearlessly have a look at that from Scripture and lovingly toward people that we disagree with and may be wrong and may be lost, but still be loving. That's tomorrow night. Then Sunday morning, either in class or the had made up my mind. I need to talk to the elders about what they would like me to do Sunday morning. Somebody said do something on unity and fellowship, and I'd certainly enjoy doing that. But I'll do what's best for this church, best I can. But I plan for one of the times Sunday morning to speak on the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? And how do we appropriate it? Okay, Roman numeral one on the person of the Holy Spirit. He is a person. It's not a feeling. We're not talking about a thing here. It isn't the Bible. I had one guy to tell me one time years ago, and I, I, I puzzled about it for years. Never knew what he meant. When he said this guy was asking everybody wanted to come forward and be filled with the Holy Spirit, he said, I had him here in my pocket. And I thought, I don't understand that. And decades later, I realized that guy was talking about he had his New Testament in his pocket. The Holy Spirit is not the New Testament. The Holy Spirit is not the Bible. The Holy Spirit is a person. And we want to just look at what the Bible says about that. Now, let's be honest. We cannot always distinguish Him from the Father and the Son in, in the way it is in Scripture. Context sometimes lets you know. But there are three, and we will talk about that tonight. It's just like somebody said, well, what's the difference in the body and the spirit? Uh, or not the body and the spirit, but the spirit and the, and the uh, soul. Well, all I know, here's the simplicity there. All I know is that animals are a two-part being. They've got life and body. And you shoot the gun, boom! And the life goes, and the body's still laying there. Two parts. But humans are three parts. And Hebrews 4.12 says so very simply, why the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Now, we're not going to get off in a study tonight of soul and spirit, but it's to say that we are, here's the simplicity, we're a three-part being. Now, sometimes soul and spirit are used interchangeably, and sometimes they refer to one and the other. But suffice it to say that we are body and life like animals and an immortal part that will never go away. Now, we all know that. Same thing's true now with the Holy Spirit. It isn't always discernible. 
in Scripture, when you're talking about God, whether it's, uh, is this Jesus this time? or Because, see, in the beginning, God said, let us make man uh, in our own image. And God said, let there be light, there was light. Who, who was that? Well, us is the plural word, Elohim. And God is the plural being, and there are three. You will not always be able to distinguish, but they are there, distinguishable. That's all I want to, to talk about tonight, is that, that they are different. And tonight we're talking about one of the three. And He is a person. Uh, spirit is the kind of person God is. John 4, 24 says God is a spirit. Well, which one's a spirit? Well, they all are. The Father is a spirit, the, Holy, the, the Son is a spirit, and the Holy Spirit is a spirit. They're immortal beings, and we'll be like them someday. In the lesson text I gave you, did you notice that Jesus was saying, I, so you can identify Him, if you're just looking for one, two, three, I will pray to the Father, one, two, and He will send you a counselor, even the Spirit of truth. So all the way through Scripture, when you can add, you know there are three. I think I'm being very primary with you, and forgive me for that, because uh, I don't know, I have an idea you know a lot more than that, but we, we need to start there and just say there are, there are three. And in, in all those lesson texts, uh, in John 14, John 15, John 16, again and again and again, and then somebody was saying, well, now who, who is the Father of Jesus? Because didn't Matthew 1 say that that which is in her is of the Holy Spirit? Now, was it the Holy Spirit or was it the Father that fathered Jesus? And if that bothers you, then let's simplify that and say, because you say, well, I thought Jesus was the Son of God. And then the Bible says that which is in her is of, of the Holy Spirit. Max Locato has a marvelous little book called Cosmic Christmas. And it's fiction. It's done up, but it's a beautiful thing. But it explains this verse about as clear as any I've ever had because, because God gives the angel this little vial. I almost need to read that because it's so beautiful. With the seed of God to be planted in this little virgin woman. And the Holy Spirit takes it and places it in the, tomb, in the womb of Mary. So I'm not going to say a whole lot more about that to say, well, is there any... Uh, misunderstanding about God and the Holy Spirit in the birth of Jesus. No, God's the Father. I mean, they, are, they agreed they could be that and would be that. And all of the subjection was voluntary subjection. It was, a, it was an agreement of, of the Trinity for them to be what they were. But God the Father is the Father of Jesus. The Holy Spirit carried the seed. Mary in the womb of Mary was the place where Jesus was born. Number two, every Roman numeral two, Every believer. Mary said, I was talking to Mary earlier about this. She said, you better explain who believer is here. And believer most times in Scripture is talking about the whole package. Uh, I think we need to explain that because somebody will say, oh, you mean everybody who just believes and doesn't obey. No, that's not a believer in the Scripture. The Scripture really talks about, you have faith without works, that's dead. It's not what I'm talking about. So when the Bible talks in a positive way about the believer, we're talking about an obedient believer. In our case, a baptized believer obeying the Lord. But every believer, that's who I mean. Can I just define that right now? Believer in Scripture really means to indicate it's the whole package. It's the one who trusts, commits to, and obeys our Lord. That's the believer. All the other believers are like Satan. He believes and trembles, but he's lost. He's not really a believer. 
the way the Bible says that you need to believe. You can't be saved and believe that way. So when I talk about a believer, every believer has the Holy Spirit. Can we read Acts 2.38? Probably the most familiar verse in all of Scripture for members of the Church of Christ. Well, they're convinced that they nailed to the cross Jesus, the Son of God. What do we do? And Peter gives them two commands and three promises. Two and three. Repent. Command or promise? Out loud. This is an out loud thing. Is that a command or a promise? Repent. It's a command. Be baptized. You'll receive remission of sins. And the gift of the Holy Spirit. And be added, verse 47, by the Lord to the church. See, here's one way people, uh, you say, do you know you're saved? Do you know you're filled with the Spirit? And they just tear us members of the church of Christ up with that. Let me tell you what. You're looking at a forgiven guy as a sinful You're looking at a guy who's filled with the Holy Spirit. You're looking at a guy that's in the right church and knows it. That sounds arrogant, doesn't it? But you see, I don't know that because it has Church Christ on the sign and I baptize and I use or don't use instrumental music. The reason I know that is simpler than all of that. Jesus said to me and to you, Marvin, you need to repent and be baptized. If you do, I'll give you some stuff. And I said, okay. And I did and did and he did, did, did. So I know that I have remission of sins because it was a promise to all the people that repent and are baptized. I know I'm filled and have the gift of the Holy Spirit, even if I don't know anything about it. Because my God keeps His promises. Be nice to know if you've got a gift, what it is and how to use it, boy. And maybe that's where we're deficient. And I know I'm in the right church because Jesus put me there. Isn't that nice to know? Isn't that secure? To know that you're forgiven, you're indwelled in the Holy Spirit of God, and you're a member of the right church. And for all the right reasons, because God did it. Because I did what God said and He gave me. I like that. Now, so every obedient believer is given three promises. And one of them is, you will, not a possibility, not a theory, but a promise, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now look a page further, Acts 5 and verse 32. And it will say simply, in, in Peter's preaching, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given. God has given to those that obey Him. So twice at least, many more times. But twice. Do you feel better about knowing now whatever little we know about the Holy Spirit, I got Him? I may not know a lot about salvation, but I have it. I don't know an awful lot about forgiveness, but I want to dwell on that and soak it up because I've got all those wonderful things, and it ought to make me rejoice so much. I wonder why the church isn't deliriously happy all the time having all that we've got. But we're down there trying to legalize it and put it in boxes and it makes us sour where Jesus would make you radiant. Because look who you people are. If y'all repented and been baptized, yeah, we all did. That's the right thing to do. You're right. Well, in that case, I'm looking at forgiven and indwell people who are members of the blood-bought church of Jesus Christ and there isn't any doubt that you are. Wow! The Christian response is wow. All right, every believer has the Holy Spirit. And we'll get into lessons about baptism of the Holy Spirit and tongues and, and all of that stuff and differentiate from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but it won't, it won't, it won't make it smaller. It's going to make it bloom in your life. 
Now remember that the Holy Spirit is always a promise and never a command so we can shortcut those who agonize. I think we ought to be trying to speak in tongues. At Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I live, you can go and roll in classes that teach you how to speak in tongues. God has never been that hard to reach. He just said, you want the Holy Spirit? I'll give Him to those that repent and are baptized. God has never been hard to reach. Number two, this is number one under Roman number two, every believer. Our need, and what do we need to do in the church? What do we need to do individually? Well, I want to suggest this. Two things. Number one, we need to preach the Word. Just stick with the book. Preach what the book says. And number two, let God work. Some of us sneak around. I'm going to tell you that. I'm probably not going to cross this line tonight, although I'm not afraid to do it. Because some of us are really afraid of, of things, answers, direct answers we get of God. But I could dazzle you or disgust you, depending on who you are. The rest of the night of the last nine years of my life where strong things happened and continue to happen. The last one being, and I don't care what you call it, I don't care to explain it, because I'll say again, the Holy Spirit is better enjoyed than explained. But I just, on top of all my work in Africa that most of you know about, and you've given money to Bibles for Africa, we got to go to Liberia where a guy was running for president who's a member of the church, and we took 100,000 Bibles, and I feel strongly led to go back and comes the question, where am I going to get the money to do this? I'm already going to Africa and Australia and, and my ministry is packed. Where am I going to get all of that? And then out of the blue, and this is one instance of an enormous length of stories I can tell you the rest of the night and would love to do so. A guy writes out of the blue and said, Marvin, he hadn't sent money to me in a long time. And he said, Here, here's a thousand dollars. I just thank God's blessing your ministry and use it any way you want. And I sit there thinking... I needed that because I need to go back to Liberia. Now, some of us who like to explain all that away say, well, that's a coincidence. That happens to everybody. And what am I, I going to say? Sure, that's right. But it happens all the time. Can you prove this, Marvin? Did you know you can't prove answers to prayer? I don't even know that answers to prayer were meant for proof. They were meant to enjoy. And can I tell you, can I testify to you of just the last nine years of my life it is star-studded with things that happened that were unmistakably the will of God that just came into my life. I, we have a God that's alive. That's all we're saying. A God that's active. So our shortcut is, what are we going to do differently? Preach the Word and allow God to work. Don't shut Him out. Don't say what He will or won't do. Just go ahead doing what you're doing. Except give up this thing. I don't believe God will do that. Quit locking Him in. Just agree that God is mightier than you are. And we're going to go on serving Him. And we're not going to do anything unscriptural. And God will, the Holy Spirit, I believe, will work mightily in your individual lives. And in your church's life. Uh, I wish, <laughs> I wrote down here, we could erase all we've heard about the Holy Spirit. I wish we could erase all of the bizarre stuff that charismatics do. 
I got to tell you a funny story about that. When, when you get to know them, like I know Billy Joe Doherty in the Victory Christian Center in Tulsa, when you get to know a guy, you can ask questions that you can't ask other than that. Uh, I started to tell you the guy's name, but I, that's not fair, and I'm not. I don't want to, even if I think he's wrong. But there is a guy on television. Okay, I'll go that far. You've seen him. That I think is so bizarre. He looks to me, this is my judgment, to be so fakey. And now I've got a friend here that's a good friend. And we can talk and I lock him in corners and he locks me in corners when we're talking about Scripture and what God will do. And I find out by deep discussion with him we're not as far apart as we think. Sometimes we just misunderstand each other. But I said, Billy Joe, you have this guy. Speak in your church. And I don't want to judge anybody, but he looks so fake. And Billy Joe said to me, well, Marvin, we have our granola. And I said, you're what? And he said, our fruits, nuts, and flakes. <laughs> and I just had to laugh because here's a guy admitting there are weirdos among us. Now, I wonder with me tonight, are you ready to admit that among churches of Christ we have our own weirdos? You might think you're looking at one. Do not say amen at the wrong time. But I mean, just admit it. We're not all perfect. We're not all, you know, on and know all the truth and act right and everything. And so, you know, so, but that doesn't prove anything. Many charismatics don't fellowship each other. Anyway, now I'm going to start talking a little bit about subjective religion. And subjective religion only means my feelings. Boy, you can't tell me I'm not right. <laughs> I was saved and I know it. Let me tell you, I was out there and the Spirit of God came upon me. And I knew my sins were forgiven. And you can't argue with that. And I used to try. I don't even do that anymore. One guy gave me his conversion story out in the cow lot. and Some really bizarre thing happened and God called him, struck him down, saved him right on the spot. And then he got through and said to me, and I offer this to you. He says to me, Marvin, you don't believe that, do you? Now, if I say I don't believe that, I've lost the guy. If I say I do believe it, I'm lying. So I, here's what I said. I'm going to pass this along. There's a way to be nice. And doesn't the Bible say speak the truth in love? I was able to really preach to that guy because he got through and I said, Well, you know, Jim, I wasn't there. And I try to make it my practice not to judge and be up on what I'm, uh, be down on what I'm not up on. But let me tell you the story of my conversion. And I told him mine, and I said, now the difference in what you told me and what I told you is that my simple conversion is a duplicate of all the conversions in the book of Acts. And I can't find one like yours in the Bible. And I prefer, I don't know about you, we're both going to face God. I would rather stand before God with my conversion being the spitting image of everything the Bible says about it than to stand before God and say, Oh God, I felt saved and I knew it was because I felt it. That's the danger of subjective religion. And there are a lot of people in the world. And a lot of our people get enamored with charismatics because we seem to be so legalistic and sometimes far too much so. And so we're susceptible easily to people who love God and it just looks that way and they act that way and the things in their lives even show it that way. And one guy said to me, 
I was going to tell you who it was. It was a, a Baptist friend of mine said to me, you know, Marvin, he said to me in an elevator one time, he said to me, you know, Marvin, the Church of Christ is closer to the Bible than the Baptist. But he said, Baptist, yeah, he was generalizing. Baptists are closer to God than you guys are. And I know what he meant. Because there are a lot of people in other churches that are so sincere, love God, you can't question that. And I also compare it to there's, there's a lot of people in the church of Christ that may have no love in their heart at all, just a legalistic system. And you always compare their best with our worst. But I said to him, I've forgotten his first name. You know, the beautiful thing is you don't have to choose between. You can have the truth and be close to God. And that's what I want to try to do and to be. Now, you're listening real well, and I'm, I'm taking this longer, but I'm nearly through with, with what I'm going to say tonight, and then we're going to open it up to, you can ask any question you like. You need to know that a guy says speaking in tongues. They want subjective religion says, you don't believe in speaking in tongues. Twenty-four charismatic preachers invited me one time to talk to them about why I don't believe in speaking in tongues. I was glad to go. They treated me nice. But they gave me 45 minutes of tongue speaking before I spoke. That I wasn't ready for. And then they said, okay, Marvin, now you don't believe in speaking in tongues. And I said, no, I don't believe it's for today. And he said, isn't that amazing? We've just been doing it. See, the evidence is we did it. Now, watch my answer. I said to him, well, you know, guys, y'all are all from the assembly of God. He said, yes. And I said, now the United Pentecostal, I can see them constricting immediately. Because they're the ones that believe there's only one person in the Godhead, his name is Jesus. And they speak in tongues more than anybody. And I said, what does it mean when they do it? He said, that's of the devil. And I said, that's interesting, isn't it? You do it, I'm to say it's of God. They do it, and I'm to know it's of the devil. How am I going to know? And I said, that's one reason I like sticking with what the Bible says. Because feelings... And charismatic gifts or miracles, charismatic churches disagree and will not fellowship with each other. So all I'm saying there is they're not bad people or they're insincere. I'm saying that's no proof because God never intended it to be proof. By the way, number three, before I leave that Roman numeral two, was this. The Holy Spirit is supposed to be God intended a great power among us. I will read later, not now, Galatians 3, 1, 2, and 3. We read verse 3. Why do you do this when you started with the Spirit? Why are you trying to accomplish by human effort? It's a good question for us today. And then, the lesson Sunday morning will be just an exegesis of Romans 8. Oh, the Holy Spirit does this, 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 this. And the response ought to be hallelujah. Richard Rogers outlined... On Romans 8 was, it starts with no condemnation, ends with no separation, and in the middle shouts glory. And it is that kind of chapter that we'll talk about. All right, uh, back to Roman numeral 3 and last. No, 3 was subjective religion, doesn't prove anything. Let me give you this and, and end, and, and uh, I didn't know, you know, I'm expanding this thing because we get started with a lesson It's very easy to go on and on and on. But number four, how do we get to know the Holy Spirit better? I want you to have some stuff on that. Number one, I'm going to give you three points that are maybe going to surprise you. Number one, make an effort to understand Him through Scripture. 
Ask the question. Don't try to prove your doctrine. But ask the question, what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? Which is what we're trying to do. And understand who the Bible is. You've got to make that effort. See, say he is God. He is the comforter. He's our paracletus, our lawyer. There are verses for all of this. Maybe I gave them to you. If I don't, I have a list here. He, Satan hinders. He intercedes. He can be grieved. He can be despised. Resisted. Stifled. Quenched. Extinguished. And if he's left us, we must invite him back. Number two, and we'll comment on that a little bit else. Seek to have fellowship with Him. Philippians 2.1 says we have fellowship with the Spirit. Fellowship means having association with, a partnership with. i got to tell you, uh, a strange experience. You ever heard the name Paul Yonggi Cho? Preacher of the largest church in the world in Seoul, Korea. Years ago it had a half a million members and 30,000 small groups all over Korea, Japan, and a lot of other places. I had the experience of hearing him personally. He came to Tulsa. Mind you, this guy is the leader of the largest charismatic church in the world. And I went there and sat in the audience and they were going bananas. They were biting their earlobes off and screaming and hollering and speaking in tongues. I'm sitting there. It was a riot. And this guy that's the leader of the movement was sitting like this up on the stand. Very distinguished looking young, slender man, black suit, white shirt, black tie, nice shoes, cross legs. He wasn't doing anything. And I thought, I'm watching this guy thinking, he's the leader of this thing. So when he got up to speak, he said, I'm not a hand clapper. I'm not a hand raiser. But I want to talk to you tonight about the Holy Spirit of God. And i got to tell you, with what he said, he may believe some things I don't believe, but I heard that night one of the best sermons I ever heard in my life on the Holy Spirit. And he was so practical because he said, suppose there are three guys here. I guess we could Dick, Tom, and Harry. That way I can remember three names. And he said, suppose Dick, Tom, and Harry were standing here and you came and said, Hey, Dick, how you doing? Hey, Tom, how you doing? And moved on. Everybody did the same thing. Suppose you're Harry. He said, what would you do if the whole people came out? Hey, Tom. Hey, Dick. And then moved on. And I'm thinking, if I was Harry, I'd get out of there, boy. That's what he said. He said, you know, we're always talking about God and the Father and talking about Jesus. And he said, we don't even talk about the Holy Spirit. And a lot of people in the world. And he said, what I'd do if I was the Holy Spirit is, you're not going to talk to me, I'm leaving. And you begin to realize, that's about the way. I, here's what I was doing in the audience. Being the preacher I was, where I it's exactly what I've done. I talk a lot about God and about the, and about Jesus. I don't talk much about the Holy Spirit. He said, "Well, if you offended Harry and you finally realized you had, what would you do about him?" And he said, "What you would do, wouldn't you, if you were realized what you had done, you'd go over and say, Harry, listen, I, I've been neglecting you, and I'm sorry." So his first step was. If you've been doing that with the Holy Spirit of God, why don't you say to Him? Now that may bother some members of the church until you read in Acts 7 where Stephen looked up to heaven and saw Jesus. You know, and he prayed, Lord Jesus. See, because we, we've got this little package then. We can only pray to God through Jesus and it's got to be done this way and don't dare. And it's not true. We don't have any prohibitions like that. 
So if Stephen could pray to Jesus, so can we. As a matter of fact, I'm not trying to be radical. You can talk to anybody you want to. And a lot of you have. You've lost a husband. You've lost a child. And oftentimes you say, oh, Mary, what I'd give to see you again. What are you doing? Silly words out of the air. No, you don't know what you're doing either, but you're just, there's nothing wrong. You don't say to me, oh, stop doing that. You can't do that. So maybe, and I've done it, and I'm going to recommend it to you. Maybe we ought, if we feel that we have neglected the Holy Spirit in our lives, just get alone somewhere sometime and say to Him, Holy Spirit, I'm real uncomfortable with this. But I have not even acknowledged that you are alive. And I'd just like to say I'm sorry. I'm scared. I don't want to do anything that's unscriptural. You don't want me to. Father, you don't. Jesus, you don't. So help me with this. But if you'll help me, I won't ignore any one of you or your word anymore. Now, if you think that sounds bizarre, I'm sorry. But I think it's a good thing to do. Just admit that we've neglected him and speak to him. And then thirdly, Practice His presence. Now these three steps are going to sound a little funny and I I just want you to be seated with that and you may try to nail me when this is over on that but I'm still going to say if that's what I came here to do so I'm going to do it. But practice His presence. Um, Our elders at one time I started to say I don't want to tell this wrongly of them because they don't do it all the time but we were discussing something some problem in the church and a guy went out and got a chair and set it in the elder's room. An empty chair. Because we can't act ugly. Would you agree with that? We can get mad at each other. We can show unchristlike. He set this empty chair there. He said, I'd like to read you all the scripture. And he read Luke 22 where Peter said, I don't know him. I don't know him. You know, I don't know that man. I don't know him. And the rooster crowed. Huh? And verse 61 said, And the Lord turned and looked. Straight into his eyes. And this elder said, I just wanted to put the chair here to just kind of remind us. Jesus is here looking at us. And it makes a profound difference. Nothing miraculous about it. The Bible doesn't say do it. We're not trying to start some unscriptural doctrine, but we are aiding ourselves to know that he's there and watching. And if you want the Holy Spirit deeper in your life, I'd suggest that you practice His presence. That you pray to Him as well as the Father and the Son. And that you practice what you have neglected for years in His presence, that He really is there because, of course, He really is. Most of all, I say finally, invite Him in your life. I love the verse in Revelation 3 and verse 20. And I'm going to end with this and you can ask any question you like. But in Revelation 3:20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock If any man will open, I'll come in. I think that's a marvelous thing. I've heard people say before, and so I'm not going to limit this to the Holy Spirit, that it probably would be a really good thing for us to get off somewhere alone and really pray that. Lord, you've been knocking on my heart all this time. I am begging you to come in. Because he said, if you'll let me in, I'll come in. So if we do it, Father's coming in. The Son's coming in. The Holy Spirit's coming in. And probably better days are ahead for us. Well, I've got to stop there.
and just see what I've done to you. <laughs> and I have no idea. But everything's open. Please understand. We, we want to look at this. We don't want to do anything that is unscriptural. I'm just, I'm just talking now. You raise your hand, you get the answer. No, no, no. I've, I've stopped doing that. I've stopped doing that totally. Don't have to. It's not my job. You know, that's... The, you're neither qualified nor authorized to be the judge, but I've got to preach the book. Now, let me comment on Hebrews 6 and 1 to 6 because, okay, admittedly, so much about that is hard. Your frustration is mine. And everybody else, what's all that mean? Let's leave the doctrine of baptism and laying on the hands. Of, whoa, baptism, plural, and all that stuff. So here's, while not giving you a total answer, because I don't have one, let's just say so. But I always look, again, for simple. I always look for simple principles. Now, here's one I want to give you. There are, in hermeneutics, the study of uh, the science of interpretation, there's, there's some principles. And here's another simple one. Never make, never put a, a meaning, never put a meaning on a difficult passage that makes it contradict a plain one. Let me give you an illustration, because I think you have to do some of that here. First uh, Corinthians fifteen twenty nine talks about how about those that are baptized for the dead. Cool, we go off in a tangent. Well, uh, take that verse out of the Bible a minute, and let's look at all it says about baptism. Baptism is. A burial in water of a penitent believer for remission to sin has got to do it from the heart. I, I believe that with all my heart. Well, what about this other then? I don't know what that means. I've got a couple of theories, but I'm not going to take either theory and make it contradict what is plainly taught. Now, frankly, that's what premillennialists do to convince that the Lord's coming back to earth for a thousand years and the rapture and all of that stuff. And there's some plausible stuff, some hard stuff to answer about it. I think this one's that way. So what I do to wade through it, and it doesn't wade easy, but it's what I do. I'll just pass that along to you. Is that, well, he's talking about, you, you're, you're, let's leave the first principles. Come on, there are other things. Let's get on with it. And so he lists some things that were in, intended to be first principles. And in first principles, I go back to this two commands and three promises. I know I repented. I know I was baptized. I know I was sincere in it. I know Jesus gave me the remission of sins. I know He gave me the indwelling of His Spirit. And I read later where they prayed and the place was filled with the Holy Spirit. I thought, well, what's that? We already got it. And there's some measures or some things that I don't understand. So I'm going to just stick right now with the simple things I do know and then just admit for sake of this study, because other than that you'd get into a longer discussion, of saying there are some hard things to understand. But they don't violate the simple things of getting the Holy Spirit and praying and getting answers to prayer now. It's urging us really to go on to maturity and not just stay babies. Now that's not a complete answer at all. But that's the best I can do for right now. Somebody else? We, I'm sorry we lasted. I'm not, I'm not sorry <laughs> at all. Not really, but we lasted longer than I was going to We'll have 30 seconds of silence. Yes, brother. <laughs> How do you know? 
or to get to get a page one and say this is proof you're not going to have it. Because like I said, charismatics and other people can match us story for story of answered prayer and miracles. This happened and this happened there and there. But we do have what's called in, in Galatians 5 the fruits of the Spirit. And, and, and in my own life, the only way I know how to answer you is God promised me that. Whether I understand it or not, He promised me that. I've learned to be happy about it. I've learned to rejoice in it. I've learned to look back on certain things and say, boy, sure looks to me like the Holy Spirit working in my life. I've talked to people and thought of verses that I don't know. And yet I said, well, if you look at Deuteronomy 1067, verse 968, you'll find the answer. <laughs> you know, and thought, where did I come up with that? I've seen enough of it there. And you're going to see what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is going to be just like you've got a pecan tree. And eventually you're watering and watching and what do you know? Blossoms and pecans. And so the normal way you're going to see that is in the things that are changing in your life. Now, we would say in a warning to Christians, if, if love and peace and goodness and gentleness and meekness are not blossoming in your life, you better watch out. Because you may not be allowing the Holy Spirit, that's a permission to work in your life. So you're going to see fruits of it. And then along the way, you're going to see, as I said, I can testify. It won't prove anything. But I can testify some marvelous things, especially over the last nine years, of things that just boom, boom, boom happen in my ministry. I think, oh, these are wonderful. God isn't protecting me, making me a superman or anything. But, but there is a looking back of the evidence that's there. Never intended for proof, always intended for enjoyment and appropriation. See, a lot of our answers aren't going to be so locked in a box, but they're going to give you hope.